And what's up, podcast people and soundtrack geniuses around the world? You're listening to The Soundcast. And on this podcast, we talk all things film, television, and video game music. That is to say, soundtracks. I am Christopher Coleman, and joining me today is... Dane Walker, composer, in parentheses. Today is Wednesday, September 19th, 2018, and this is episode 118, The Soundcast 6, Volume 11, where we talk about six of the most compelling recent topics from the world of soundtracks. You can find all episodes of The Soundcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitch Radio, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and you can send us your feedback about the show to soundcast at tracksounds.com or use our SpeakPipe widget on, this, on our site to leave us a voicemail or hit us up on Twitter at AudioSoundcast or find us on Facebook. Today, we're going to be discussing six topics and those six topics are the Captain Marvel trailer and what it may or may not be telling us about the direction of the original score the Stanley and Ollie trailer uh, and what we might get from composer Rolf Kent, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs trailer, which is going to have a score by Carter Burwell, the news that Dead Mouse is going to be scoring his first film entitled Polar, the Predator, not full soundtrack, but EP that was released on Spotify, and if that signifies a trend uh, for releasing soundtracks, And lastly, the recent announcement that there will be a Loki and Scarlet Witch spinoff, two separate spinoffs, streaming uh, on the new Disney uh, streaming service. And we're going to talk about that a little bit and what it might mean or what we might hope for from whoever composes the original scores for it. Uh, Well, Dane, welcome once again to another Soundcast episode. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. And uh, those of you listening probably noticed that it wasn't Kristen's voice that read the Today Is portion, which you're probably so used to hearing. Um, We weren't just trying to mix things up. Obviously, she's not on this particular episode, so you weren't going to hear her voice anyway. But um, uh, I've asked Dane to become a more permanent co-host of the show, and he's accepted. And so this is going to mark his First, we just decided this five minutes ago. <laughs> so Mark is yes, first. Did, yeah. Not that he was going to be on five minutes ago or be a co-host, <laughs> but that this would be his first uh, official episode. So, Dane, great to have you uh, on board and look forward to having lots more discussions with you and your creative input into the show and all of that good stuff. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I was flattered that you asked, and I'm looking forward to being a part of this more permanently. This could be great. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you've brought a great vibe, and our discussions have been have been really good. And I it just feels like a good natural, you know, fit. And so I look forward to seeing what we what kind of crazy things we can talk about in the future. It's going to be awesome. It will be. Um, but tonight we got six crazy things to talk about, so I've got to do double duty and, and run the timer, so um, I may forget. So if I forget, <laughs> you have to nudge me like, hey, did you do the timer? Um, uh, so we're going to start with our first topic of the night. If you've, list- if you've never heard a Soundcast 6 episode before, we obviously are going to talk about six topics. The episode's only going to be one hour or just a little bit longer because of the intro and outro. But each topic, we only give 10 minutes each to talk about. And so if we don't use all of the 10 minutes, we can take that extra time that we didn't use and add it to another topic that we can talk longer on. Uh, or if we go over, um, 
we make up for it elsewhere. going to get started with our first uh, first uh, story right now which is the Captain Marvel trailer which was it yesterday I think that came out um, uh, today is Wednesday so Tuesday I think it released um, erupted on the internet at like 27 million views or some crazy number uh, what did you think of it it looks cool um, I want to know more about who Captain Marvel is she's kind of not been on my radar um, so I I was excited to see it, and uh, it looks like it's going to have that kind of Superman origin story thing going on, though, a mm. little bit. But maybe um, maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that could be me being you mean like Superman in terms of, like, flashback, telling it in flashback, or... Yeah, that, like, she's gone somewhere, you know, and then she's coming back, and she, uh, this is complete total ignorance with the franchise but um yeah and it, it looked like she had like her ship they made a big deal about the ship that's what it starts with the ship shows up oh yeah right and so it was kind of like well where what's that and what's going on and yeah uh, is she on the ship you know was she abducted and she came back and you know yeah. she's randy quaid from you know independence day no just kidding um <laughs> oh i hope not <laughs> Let's not make that crossover, please. <laughs> no, it looks awesome, and I love that it's in the the nineties uh, blockbuster. That it starts in a yeah. blockbuster. I was like, this is setting it up for uh, for total coolness, vintage yeah. coolness, and and also um, Samuel Jackson, the yeah, eye patch. Yeah, yeah, they did a little digital digital makeup on him, knocked yeah. a few years off of him. Looked um, good. Looked pretty good. Yeah. I would say that what they what they did for Michael Douglas um, was some of the best, you know, in the first yeah. Ant Man. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. I was like, man, that looks really good. Um, I didn't think it looked so good on uh, Kurt Russell in Gal- Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I was like, mm. it, it was it looked a little weird to me. But but I hope I hope they do uh, they do old Sam right by the CG makeup. Do you think I have a question? Do you think it's the hair? No, I always look at what do I think it's the hair? What? So I always felt like Kurt Russell's was harder because of the hair. It you know, might have had something to do with it. And, you it know, might. Michael Douglas doesn't. Maybe um, his face just looked puffy. It just looked weird. Yeah, it just I looked weird. Um, it might have been though because the hair was framing the face in a very specific way, you know, and maybe that yeah. had something to do with it. I don't know, um, but we'll see. We shall see. Um, I loved it as well. I was surprised that I loved it because I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm kind of anxious for it, but I wasn't like hugely anxious for it. So, you know, I, when it came out, I was like, well, yeah, I definitely need to watch this. So I watched it, and the blockbuster move was was great. I mean, it immediately just grabbed me. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm along for this ride. If you're gonna if you're gonna give me the nostalgias right off the front like that, um, yeah. I thought that was great. Um, and I, you know, when I came away, what I came away with it was somehow Marvel's able to keep my interest anyway, pretty high from movie to movie to movie. I'm, I know others are, are very burnt out, 
but I'm not. I mean, it's 10 years of this, 20 movies almost, and I'm genuinely interested in the next, you know, maybe Avengers, Age of, uh, not Age of Ultron, but Infinity War kind of reinvigorated me to some degree. Uh, now I'm so anxious to see the second half of that, um, that I'm just like, give me something. I'm not sure, but but I find myself pretty engaged in wanting to uh, see the next story and the next story and how do these things tie together and whatnot. So I, I think I give Marvel props for that or their trailer house, whoever edited that for them. I think they did a pretty good job. Um, and so I'm excited, you know, I'm excited that I'm excited because it could have really run thin already. You know, it could, it could have easily just been like, you know what, whatever, who cares? I'm excited that you're excited. <laughs> it takes, it takes something to get you excited. Chris. So, <laughs> well, you know, these things I think are this is a good a sign. It is, but hopefully that doesn't mean my hopes are up here and then whoop, it's, you know, disappointment. It hasn't really happened yet, but you never know. Um, I think the I think most people seem to like the trailer. Uh, I haven't heard too much negative on it, and I completely forgot that. Oh yeah, this is Marvel's first female-led superhero movie. It completely, it just didn't even enter my head. It just felt like, well, they've been doing that, but no, they haven't. <laughs> I mean, since oh, Wonder true. Woman's They're come out, men. it's just like, I mean, it was a big deal when they finally announced it because people were like, "Give us Black Widow, give us Black Widow, give us give us right, Black right, Widow." Right. And it just wasn't happening. And then finally, oh, Captain Marvel. So I, it feels like since Wonder Woman's kind of shattered that ceiling, it's just like, oh, yeah, of course it's... A, which I think that's what... I don't know. I shouldn't try to speak for women. But I think that's what women kind of want. That it's like, yeah, it's just a normal thing now. We have female-led superhero films, you know. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's talk about the music here for about four minutes and 19 seconds. Um, what do you think about the music? Do you think the trailer music is setting the tone? Sometimes these things have, you know, like Kristen likes to say, the the trailer music has nothing to do with the final product. But what do you say about this one? Well, I, I think the trailer music was kind of in the style that um, Pinar can do. So um, I feel kind of like it's indicative of what we're going to see um, or what we're going to hear rather. Um, I do think there will be some 90s pop in there mm-hmm. to set the scene, kind of give us some stylings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a hybrid, you know, synth orchestra score. Um, and it, it's going to be pulsing and pounding and and cool. Yeah, the trailer had a lot of, it was very DC to me. A lot of percussion, little very hard percussion. Um, it felt like, you know, this is the kind of music you would hear in a DC film. Um, so my thoughts about Pinar doing it as well, it's like, you know, it'd be very cool if she kind of went the Hans Zimmer 90s synth route. Um, yes. That would be, you know, very cool yes. to have a, a Crimson Titus, The Rock sort of crazy. Yes. That would just be, it doesn't seem like that's nostalgic, really, but it kind of is because you don't. Oh, yeah. You don't hear I, the we, rock we need, anymore. We need those scores back. We yeah. should. Everything should be that. Well, not everything. <laughs> there should just be a lot more of that. <laughs> I just think that would be such a... It's in that weird middle area. It's not contemporary, but it's not like 80s nostalgic. It's in the middle. And I think that would just be such a weird vibe 
to put on it, you know, because you can't, I, you know, I don't want them to do the Guardians thing with too many pop songs. Um, yeah, I don't think it'll do that. I think it yeah. just, I, I just mean that they're going to have to set the scene and get us feeling 90s. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to have some of that to yeah to make it like work. They're driving in the car and there's something, you know, playing on the tone locus on the radio or or who knows yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, red exactly. hot chili peppers are playing or right. something you know right um but yeah i just don't i hope they don't overdo it because of the opportunity hey it's the 90s we can come out with a nice soundtrack that's all the 90s songs you know i'm sure dave jordan is like already salivating over the possibilities <laughs> of what he could pull together there um but i do think well i don't know but i do hope that we get a Zim, 90s Zimmer style score. I just think that would be so that would crazy be awesome. cool. Um, that would be so crazy we'll see. Cool. We shall see. That's uh, number one story. Number two story is the Stanley and Ollie trailer, which I think released on the same day or maybe the day before on Monday. I can't remember. Um, I had no idea this movie was even coming out. Um, no idea. So obviously it's about Laurel and Hardy. Um, and, ooh, I forgot to write down um, who's starring in it. Uh John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Right. So John C. Riley do... and Steve Coogan play the the, the lead roles. Um, it looks like a great place for John Riley to do his comedic and his dramatic. Yes, he's very good at both. And he does kind of look like I don't know which. I think that's Stanley. He does kind of look like Stanley Laurel. Man, I don't even have the names right. That's really a shame. Um, <laughs> Laurel and Harley, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, right? Hardy, yeah. So, I th- isn't Stan Laurel is the bigger one, right? I think so. Yeah. So, I do, I think he fits that. I mean, they made him up well, but it just looks like he will fit perfectly into that character. So, I love the trailer. It looks great. Looks like it's beautifully shot. It looks like it's a great story that's going to be told. What, what did you think? Uh, I was excited to see the teaser. There was a teaser they put out a while back. Oh, I missed um, that completely. Yeah, there was a teaser. You can find it. Um, I'm positive I saw a teaser. Oh, I don't doubt I remember it. Seeing I just John didn't see Riley. it. I, just, I remember seeing John Riley as, um, as Stan and, and thinking, Oh, okay. Wow, that's going to be great. See, um, this was a complete blindside, which I love because that almost never happens. To where yeah. just some movie comes out like, wait, what? What's this trailer? What is this? And and you're thrilled with what you see? That just never happens for me. Um, I was excited because um, I love these two guys. And I haven't seen a lot of their work. But in terms of the era in which they you know, came, they're kind of like Charlie Chaplin and the Three Stooges. You mm-hmm. know, they're just kind of a staple. Yeah. And that sort of humor is, is so good. But then they were so decent. Um there are stories their children tell about them, um, just different things about them that just they have a diff- decency to them mm. um, off screen, things that we didn't know about. And mm. so I'm excited to see this biopic because um, did you ever see uh, Chaplin? Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. Y- yeah, I mean, 
That's when brilliant movie. That's when I learned that Robert Downey Jr. could really act. The act. I yeah, was absolutely. like, wow. And he should have won an Oscar that year. Yes. Absolutely should have won the Oscar. Yes. Um, so uh, they've needed that kind of a biopic for years. It's because true. Because they have that kind of a story. It's true. And um, so I'm just excited to find out more about them. And I really liked in this trailer, they kind of tell you, like, we're getting to come to a point in which things were bad. Mm-hmm. And and they're 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 feeling like breaking up the band, and mm-hmm. it's like what happens. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see that. Like, yeah, yeah, I agree. It it looks like it's going to be really dramatic and and really wonderful. Um, what about the the score? Now the score score is going to be done by Rolf Kent. Um, and at first I was like, hmm, Rolf Kent, okay. Um, and then I started to think about it, and I was like, you know. That is an inspired selection. Um, if you, he's not someone that I listen to all the time, but his the type of scores that he's done in the past are perfect for for this type of film. I mean, he's got this kind of um, bouncy, light, bright, airy type of music that he does. Jazz influenced a lot of times, um, and so I was like, yeah, you know what, that fits could fit that era um i think he could adapt that the famous laurel and hardy theme song um the original title of that was i thought that was like their theme but it was actually a piece of music that was written before and either laurel or hardy heard it on the radio somewhere um and decided no that's going to be our our theme song it's called the dance of the cuckoos and it was written by someone by the name of what's his name Marvin Hatley, and he wrote it as the on the hour chime for this uh, radio studio called Roach Studio uh, Radio Station, and they heard it on that station, and they're like, "We want that. We want that little ditty to be our our little theme song." So it fits that that exact. Uh, he fits that kind of music really well, and so. The more I thought about it, I went back and listened to some of his music. And I'm like, you know, if you listen to the score Bad Words, it's got that exact okay. vibe. Um, it's comedic. Uh, it's it's bouncy. It's jazz-influenced. Uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. It's got this Gershwin Americana kind of vibe to it. Um, then you've got Wedding Crashers, which is a, a comedy about a, a duo of people, you know, and it has that vibe as well. It's so like, this is an inspired choice. Cause, so at first I felt, meh, but then having thought about it and then re-listened to some stuff, I'm like, man, he is, that's an inspired choice. What do you think? Um, well, there's nothing more to say. You've said it all. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because I didn't think about it as deeply as you did. I uh, all I it's funny because all I get think of Ralph Kent is uh, Dexter. Oh the yeah, Dexter theme. But even thinking about the Dexter theme, it's like it's it's comedic and it's bouncy and it's you know, mm-hmm. and I can almost see those two dancing to that theme. Yeah. You know, you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. fit. So yeah, it's I'm I'm psyched. I think it's going to be a great score. And I do think it's going to be a nice song score too. I'm sure there's going to be some songs in there that will. Uh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Join up because they sang too. True. Um. Yeah, so it would be interesting. I, I'm hoping they uh, take some of the original songs that they did and clean them up the recordings so we can hear them hmm. in high def. You know. You think they'll do that or just re-record them? They'll probably re-record them, but I would love it if they could make it be the originals. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know? It would be cool. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm really excited about here. I'm, I'm excited to see the film, and I'm very excited to hear what Rolf Kent does for it, because I think it they've... They've picked something right up his alley. And watch him do something totally out of left field. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, why did I think this? Because he yeah. did this contemporary kind of buddy cop movie, uh, the like mid-2000s with, um, oh, the guy who played Rhodey originally in the first Iron Man and someone else. And that score is like, it's super contemporary, but it would perfectly fit like a James Bond film. So it's got this contemporary vibe, but it's also got this somewhat jazzy, cool vibe to it. I can't remember the name of that movie. Um, so he could go, I mean, he wouldn't do anything like that, but he has that in him to do. Uh, so I hope he just does what he's really good at and doesn't try to surprise <laughs> us. All right, we're going to go to story number three. We had a minute and a half left, so we'll use that somewhere. Um, Story number three is another trailer that was released, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a Coen Brother production, but it's coming to Netflix. And uh, I was kind of interested in this trailer. Uh, What did you think when you saw it? Well, I love Westerns. So anytime I get to see a Western, I'm excited, you know, as soon as it's dusty and there's, you know, tumbleweeds, deserts and tumbleweed, <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching. I'm good. It's going to happen. So I'm really happy they made another Western. I mean, after a godless, um, yeah. you know, I'd love to see Netflix keep doing a series of Westerns because uh, that genre never gets old. Yeah. Um, Except for when um, what's his face tries to do a send up of westerns what's his name the comedian he made how to how to hundred ways to die in the west or whatever what's that guy's name Sunken, uh, mcfarlane seth mcfarlane that comedy he did a year oh, or two ago i didn't ago. see that i, I didn't either seen it, that. just the trailer was enough for me like yeah <laughs> no thanks but i bet it's funny i need to see it i have not heard a single good thing about that movie what about the score it was good the score, yes. I, I take that back. About the movie yeah. outside of the score. All right. Um, I just haven't heard a word. Um, so Interesting. The, Interesting. The, the movie is, I'm just reading a little synopsis here. Um, it's six chapters presented, uh, present a different story from The Wild Frontier. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs tells the story of a sharpshooting uh, songster. Uh, in near Algodones, mm-hmm. uh, a wannabe bank robber gets his due, and then some. Uh, so these are the names of the of the different stories. Meal Ticket is a gothic tale about two weary traveling performers. All Gold Canyon is a story about a prospector mining for gold while a woman finds an unexpected uh, unexpected promise of love, along with a dose of life's cruel irony on a wagon train across the prairies in The Gal Who Got Rattled, and finally Ghostly Laughs Haunt the Mortal Remains as a Lady Reigns Judgment upon a motley crew of strangers undertaking a final carriage ride. Um, I didn't realize it was six completely 
different stories. Uh, I didn't either. I'm watching there was the trailer. A big thread control. Yeah, them all. maybe there is in the end. So that's interesting that that it's broken into six parts like that. Um, I'm pretty excited about it too. I'm I like old westerns. Uh, the newer westerns, mm, I can take or leave. But like westerns from the 50s and 60s, I tend to like, uh, and 70s as well. Um, I'm not a big Coen Brothers fan. Uh, it's kind of hit and miss with with me. But this particular trailer really grabbed my attention, and it looked the parts that looked like they were supposed to be funny looked like they were going to be hilarious. It looked like it's going to be intense. Looks like there's a lot of great characters in it. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see it. Um, now the person that's going to be scoring this this film of six mini films is Carter Burwell. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, well, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's worked with them, um, and it'll be great. I think he'll do a great job. Um, yeah. Yeah. I did. I did expect to see, uh, as you said, uh, Carlos, uh, Rafael Rivera's name up there. Yeah. Outside Um, of, if it wasn't a Coen brother film, um, well, no, even with it being a Coen brother, I just... Just with the, just with what he's done for Godless, I just thought, yeah, it makes sense, you know. Uh, yeah, and I think I'd be a little more excited if it was, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, Carter Burwell's always solid, but but rarely does it excite me. <laughs> just kind of like, yeah, it'll it'll fit, it'll fit the it'll fit the bill, but just rarely does it really really excite me. Um, do you get excited for a Carter Burwell score? You know, that's interesting. I don't think so. Um, but I don't I don't mean that as an insult. Mm. Um, I think, and I think the reason I don't is because he does the job so well. Hmm. You know? I mean, hmm. he he's, it's, it's always perfect. Like you never, you're never distracted by it. That's true. It's never, you know, it doesn't get in the way. The stories are great, depend, you know, whatever you're watching. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I admire Carter Burwell, um, but you're right. I don't, I don't sit down and go, oh, I have to get that album. Mm-hmm. You know, when it when it comes, I will get this one though because it's a western and it's okay. going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now let's see, has he done westerns before? I think so. I was thinking that. Um, I guess people consider No Country for Old Man, Old Man a Western, but did he score that? Really? Yes. Yeah, yes. But do you know the beauty of that score, right? Like, there isn't one. Oh, he did True Grit. Okay. I liked True Grit. Yeah, I liked True Grit. Just, yeah, I can't believe I didn't think that right away. Well, that's just the thing. It's just like, yeah, it was solid, but it's just gone. It just like evaporates, and you, I don't remember... Um, he also did uh, the Alamo. The Alamo. That's yeah, going back. Yeah, he was an arranger on that. That goes back yeah. to 2004. Yeah, that goes way back. Yeah. Um. um yeah, I guess he's not um, a stranger to the to the genre. Um. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That could. This could be. This could be good. This could be good. I think so. Yeah, we it's shall a western. See. We shall see. Have it I said a, that enough? Um, <laughs> I don't think we've quite gotten it, but <laughs> you have three more minutes to 
make sure we do. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting. Netflix is rolling it out in the theater too. Yes. Well, they want to get that. They want to get that award award of um, requirement out of the way to make sure that they qualify for Oscar noms or whatnot. So our number four story is Dead Mouse doing his first score for the film Polar. Now, Polar comes out next year, 2019, uh, directed by a Jonas Ackerland, and uh, it stars Catherine Winnick, which I think is awesome. If have, Did you watch Vikings at all? I did, yeah. She was... I forget her name in that show, but she was the the lead Viking she's lady. She's the leading lady? Yeah. She's awesome. Nice. Um, yes. And Mads Mikkelsen. And, and Mads is always fantastic, except for in Rogue One. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just underutilized to the nth degree in that film. Uh, so it's a story about a master assassin who comes out of retirement to contend with a group of young hitmen. So sounds very Taken-ish kind of uh, vibe. Um, so it was helpful to get a little bit of background on what this what this story was. Because I'm like, well, what is Dead Mouse going to do? Um, apparently, the film is based on a, a graphic novel called Polar Came from the Cold. So uh, that says it's probably going to have a, a very strong visual aesthetic to it visual style mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. um and maybe that makes sense to have dead mouse do the score did this surprise you this announcement that he was doing it no yeah. no i mean i knew he's been trying to get into film uh and proving his chops he did that orchestral album um a while back what was that like in the spring yeah there was one yeah that just yeah just this year which I, yeah. which I loved. I I thought it was I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, and I think that was his his big way of saying, "Look, I can do this too." Yep. Um, Where's the drop? So, That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so John Beale worked with him on that. Um, there was someone else who worked on that. Gregory yeah. Reverett Reveray. Hmm. I think yeah, I, maybe John did all of the uh, the sessions and the conducting for the sessions. Oh, okay. And working with the orchestra, um, and then uh, maybe the other guy did you know more of the assisting. Um, but mm. that's a solid team. So if he's got that same team working with him, he's going to have a knockout score mm-hmm. uh, for this film. I think he can do some great stuff. Yeah, he's he's got a unique sort of approach. A unique style. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched any of his YouTube videos. Nope. Really? Mm-mm. You should go watch some of them. There's, there's a couple of good ones. The the best one, I think, is uh, the one where somebody remixes his song. Mm. And it, it just blows him away. And then you watch him kind of attack that guy's song with a creative process and bring him in. And they re- redo the whole thing. And huh. it's 
it's really incredible. His creative process is what I think is fascinating because it's it's original to him and he's fostering it and he's not he's not uh, he didn't lose himself when he did that. You know, he's trying when he was doing the orchestral album, he didn't it's still him. He didn't lose himself and sort of, you know, fit into a mold. Yeah. Uh, when he did it. So um, hmm. yeah, I think he could be I think he could be a dynamic voice in film. Interesting. Um, and uh, yeah. I, I'm surprised that it took this long, you know, when everyone was kind of making that jump, you know, maybe eight, nine years ago, you know, and, um, oh, why am I having such a hard time with names tonight? Um, Tron Legacy, Daft Punk. Daft, oh, Daft Punk, Punk, yeah. And they made the jump and you had, um, oh, the uh, M83, you had all mm-hmm. these all these guys making that jump. I guess it's always mm-hmm. been happening, but I just was waiting. I was like, when is Dead Mouse gonna you know, when is Dead Mouse gonna <laughs> do this? So I'm surprised that it took this long to where I thought, okay, obviously he's not interested in it. But um and then Where's the Drop came out, I was like, Oh, well clearly he's he's showing that hey, I can do this, uh, with some collaborators. <laughs> I can I could do this type of music. Uh so yeah, I was just surprised it took this long. I'm kind of interested to hear what he comes up with. You know, I mm-hmm. think those collaborations have done really well. Uh, the the Tron Legacy probably way way up there in terms of favorite scores in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, Oblivion. You know, M83 and oh, just Oblivion Trapanese. was like. I mean, Oblivion is a dream. Yeah. That's a great score. It really, they, those collabs seem to, you know, do well. So he should call up Joseph Trapanese and say, hey, please work with me um, <laughs> on my score. Because he seems to be the one to go to. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to hearing this, this score. Um, I think it'll be fresh. I think it'll be new. Maybe some unexpected stuff. Maybe he goes a little more of his, of his established style and action scenes and whatnot. Um and then has the more lush orchestral stuff elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, it should be fun though, and something to something to keep our ears open for um, next year. I don't know the exact release date, but it says 2019 at the moment. So uh, we shall see. Uh, any other thoughts about Dead Mouse or Polar? Uh, no, I'm I'm excited for him. I think this is going to be great. Um... I now hope. I'm going to go check out the graphic novel so I can get an idea of what, All right. what it could sound like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope Catherine Winnick fights Mads Mikkelsen. I hope Catherine Winnick ends up being like the big bad. <laughs> then they have to fight at the end. That would be kind of nice. awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on then to our fifth topic of the night, which is the Predator, not original soundtrack on Spotify. Well, just pieces of it. Three pieces, three tracks from the original score were released on Spotify. I didn't write the date down, but I think it was it was uh, Friday, maybe? Right when the movie came out. Um, and I was a little surprised that there were only three tracks, and there were three very, very short tracks. I think the total is under five minutes. 
and I was a little bit because I didn't really pay I didn't pay attention to all I saw was the predator and I clicked play and after f- three tracks and five minutes it went on to some other Henry Jackman music I'm like wait what this isn't predator and I went and looked I'm like oh it's just three tracks and that's it uh, so it got me to thinking what suddenly wreck it Ralph plays yeah, like, yeah I'm like oh this is a weird movie <laughs> Um, so I thought this was weird. Well, I wonder why they did that. Um, now the full soundtrack apparently is going to be released on, uh, the 28th of September. So why in the world would they only release three tracks, especially only a couple weeks out from the release of the full score? Uh, why do you think they did it? Uh, I don't know. See, I don't, I don't, uh, I find Spotify frustrating. Oh, do you? Frankly. Yeah, but there's, the, that's just, it's from just. From the payment the, side or from yeah, the, us, yeah, the user just side? just from, from the payment side. And then from a distribution side, I find it frustrating because, and this comes from having my kids, right? So my daughter listens to music and the whole playlist thing, um, I think Spotify isn't an album distributor. They're a track distributor. Does that yeah. make sense? Like They do like, both, though. They do, but if you're not, if you're an album person, then you're going to find albums. But yeah. if you're if you're mostly just listening to another song, you, you got another song coming, and they're just going to keep popping sure. those pills to you. Um, so in a way, to me, like, if you're releasing a soundtrack album... You know, and I went and checked on iTunes because I, I thought, well, maybe the full album is out. And I didn't realize it was coming out on the twenty eighth. Um, but if you're if if you're if you're releasing an album on the twenty eighth and you want to get Spotify's kind of the radio now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, so it's the, great for discovery. Yeah, and maybe what they're doing is they're trying to feed that discovery, get those tracks out there, get people interested and wanting more, so that yeah. when they throw the full album on there everybody goes and gets it um, or adds it to their playlist or what have you. Well, Um, what's been done in the past though, is they'll release a track like a week or two before the movie comes out. And then the full thing comes out, you know, on the Friday when the movie comes out. So this was different in that they, they, they released the three tracks on the day that the movie came out. Um, so maybe that's just to hold the market to keep it in their ears fresh before the actual album comes out. Could be, could um, be. But because you like, don't want to lose, you don't want to lose your market, right? You no. got them interested. You want them running out of the theater and going, "Oh, I got to hear that!" Bam, it's in my Spotify playlist. Yeah. And and now this is the interesting part. Spotify does do good good uh, metrics. So you know if you want to know who's my audience mm-hmm. and who's listening to this and all of that, that, you know, so they've got it out. They've got, okay, we've got, we've got our product out there with the, um, with the movie. Let's release just a little bit to see how this is going to do. They can look at those metrics and figure out, should we do a, a hard copy? Should we do uh, just a, you know, just a digital release? You know, they could be getting deep, you know, data yeah. from that that helps them, uh with their release. But but only two um, weeks before the release date? Uh, I would think they would have had to have made that decision 
you know. I mean, if you're going to be printing thousands of those to go out. Well, I think I think that's what I'm saying. I mean, to me, two weeks before a release, you, you've got a soundtrack coming out two weeks after a movie. And it's, I mean, that's pretty, that's a long time. You can lose, in this day and age, you can yeah. lose your, you can lose your listeners. Yeah, you can lose your listeners. So by throwing that on Spotify, they're kind of locking it in, you know, a little bit. They're keeping it in their ear um, to build up interest. Although with full album release. With original scores, I mean, it's not unheard of. He's quite frequently they didn't come out before the age of streaming. They came out weeks after the movie would be out, right? I mean, we used to complain all the time. When are you gonna release a soundtrack? When are you gonna release a soundtrack? When are you gonna release a soundtrack? Um so and you're talking about physical releases. Correct. Though. Correct. Yeah, I mean you know, that all had to do with it was a I think if I remember correctly, if I'm remembering my film music history class at Berkeley <laughs> College of Music, um, I think E.T. is the one that really cemented that and changed the whole process of like, oh, this is another part of our product. Really? Whereas E.T.? Yeah, E.T. was the tipping point, was my Star understanding. Star Wars wasn't the tipping point? No, Star Wars was an anomaly. Huh. It's like, oh, we can do this with Star Wars because that's it's that's a Star Wars thing, you know. Okay. Like that was that that was kind of an anomaly. But this idea of like we can have any film come out and then people will buy it soundtrack, hmm. like that. I think ET was the tipping point where they realized, oh, we really can do this. Hmm. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm sure I've never someone out there before. can can correct. Yeah, and then it slowly built to where it was less like expected, right? Mm-hmm. But it was always. We don't know, you know, it was like build up the market, build up. It was kind of like Godless, Netflix with Godless. I mean, yeah. that score should have been out as soon as that show came out. It was freaking amazing. I mean, yeah. it won an Emmy. Yeah. So, but no, they waited. And, and like, I mean, I remember tweeting them obsessively, release this score, release this score, yeah, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, but it, they proved they had a market, you yeah. know, before they released it. So, you know, because why put in the overhead unless you know it's sure. going to be bought? So, um, yeah. It, it just, just, this just seems a little different to me. One, the number of tracks, not one track, they did three tracks, although the three added up to about one in in time. Um, so how long is it all told? Like five minutes. The so three, it's only five minutes? The three tracks is about five minutes. And do they vary in terms of style? Yeah, they do. The first one is, is very Alan Silvestri. I mean, nice. very. I was like, whoa. And the nice. next two are good, but they're not Silvestri at all. They're they're Hugh Jack, uh, Henry Jackman, um, and so I was intrigued. I was like, okay, I'm into this. I'm expecting to hear more. And then it went on to whatever it was, Winnie the Pooh. I don't know what what score <laughs> came on. Um, and so I was like, what the heck? So I went and looked, and was like, oh, okay, it's only three tracks. Um, and so it, one was a little concerning uh, for me because I hope this doesn't become the 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 tr- a trend that oh we're gonna just put a little bit out there, see what the buzz is or not, um, and make a decision from there. Or so we don't cut into our so we can sell more. We'll not release the full. I'm surprised actually that they haven't been doing this. If this is something they're going to do, where yeah you don't get the full soundtrack uh, unless you buy it. You know that would seem like a reasonable thing to do. Or the people who are using Spotify for free don't get all of it. They get half or 
25%, people paying for it get the full or something. Because um, I, I don't understand the economics of it at all. I don't know why they release on S- Spotify first. Uh, sometimes it's like, if you same with why do you release movies on streaming uh, before you sell the physical, like a week before? It's like, are you intentionally trying to kill the physical market? <laughs> I don't, I'd like someone to explain that to me because it makes no sense to me. If, you, if you're trying to make sure you sell the physical product that you have, um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. At the same time, okay, but a week before, you're just killing off your sales. So I don't know. I don't know what their plan is here. I, I I hope it's not the norm. I'm glad the soundtrack's coming out. But I didn't look on iTunes, but I looked on Amazon. And the three same three tracks are available on Amazon as well. Uh, for On Amazon Prime Music, um, for free, you can listen to it. Uh, is it just the Prime, or is it Amazon? Amazon Music. Um, so right, if you have Prime, it, you, it... can, you can listen to those three. Okay. Let me see. But here. it's like, okay, this was a coordinated thing um that they've done so it was a little concerning for me that uh that they've gone this route uh, and i really am looking forward to the rest of the score i don't think i'll be seeing the film based on the reviews that i've read and listened to i think it will be a rental uh, at best um which is kind of sad because i was looking forward to the film um and yeah you, i was it, too yeah, it sounds like it's a, it's a disaster. That's that's what I've heard. It's an dis- absolute disaster, nonsensical disaster. I know. I felt bad. There was that article that came out of how they changed his vision, the original yeah. vision. Of, and I was like, no, don't release an article like that. You don't know. What are you doing? Yeah. It's kind of like putting your digital product out before the physical. But Yes, anyway. it, that sounds very much like that. <laughs> Um, all right, well, we hit our 10 minutes on that. Um, I know we've got about five minutes banked up, so we could go 15 minutes if we wanted to on our last story, which is um, the announcement that there will be Loki and a Scarlet Witch spin-off or spin-offs coming to Disney's upcoming streaming service. I found this to be really, really interesting. Um, if you don't know, they've they actually hired Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen to reprise their roles on these shows. There's not a whole lot out there on what these shows are going to be exactly, but they've got those two actors to play those parts. Um, so what do you think about this announcement? Just the fact that they're going to exist on the Disney streaming service. I mean, I, it's, they're going to have to do it. They're going to have their, their streaming service. They got to get Marvel over on that. to, to sure. take. I mean, um, I just expected so, they then, would grab the Netflix series and just bring them yeah, over. That's see, what and I expected. I wonder if they have a Netflix exclusive deal. They probably like Netflix may. said, these are ours. You know, the Defenders are ours, or, you know, maybe they cut a deal on that. I'm um, sure they did for some amount of time. Yeah, and in order to... The only way the Disney streaming thing is going to really, really make a mark 
is if they come in there and they it's basically like the A-list of Disney. Yeah. You know what I mean? They can't do it halfway. They've got to prove that they are bigger and better than Netflix, Amazon, HBO, and anybody else combined. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, to, to pull a stunt like this where they would have, not a stunt, but to do this where they would have actually Tom Hiddleston come in and do Loki and have Elizabeth Olsen come in and do the Scarlet Witch, that's like brilliant. It's basically like we're bringing our film characters and we're putting them on TV. We can do it because we can, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're throwing, you know, blockbuster budget kind of money at these things. So, and you pick those two kinds of characters. It's not like they picked Hawkeye um, and and Agent Coulson, right? Just (laughs) kind of two regular people who don't have any superpowers. They did pick Agent Coulson. He did a whole TV series. Well, I mean, for this, though. Uh, I would expect them to do something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though I stopped watching that when they tried to get into all the mutant, not mutant, what do they call them? Whatever they are calling them, the Inhumans. As soon as I got into the Inhumans, it looked so bad. I was like, I can't watch this anymore. See, I stopped after Agent Coulson's car flew away in the first episode. Oh, wow. that's It got better. It got a lot better. But then it got a lot worse. Um, (laughs) So, you know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like... You can't do that stuff on a TV budget. It looks too hokey. Um, so, and you've gone and picked a demigod and a witch, a magician. So that immediately says you're going to have a high effects budget. I mean, you could mm-hmm. have picked a couple of regular old people. You could have picked um, Black Widow. And mm-hmm. that could have worked much easier. You wouldn't have the mm-hmm. same kind of effects budget you can have. So they've they've specifically chosen characters who will have to have a a lot of effects behind their stories and in their story. So that says that they're going for something big, and I respect them for that. I'm not particularly interested in watching a series about either one of those two. I mean, I I like Tom Hiddleston a lot. I like Loki a lot. But, I mean, spoilers for Avengers is like, is it you can't? Why are we doing more <laughs> of him? Why? Um, because he's the market. I mean, it. But I, it, I don't want to see anymore. I, we he's Loki? had a yeah he's had a great story. I mean you can't you can't go on forever. You know I mean he's a demigod, but he he I think. I thought. Do you remember the show? Do you remember the show The Pretender? I remember Way the name. Back in but the 90s. That's, that's all I remember. Where he was a genius and he could just morph into any role, and he could oh, play vaguely, huh? Vaguely. Okay. They could do a show like that with Loki, where he's someone else the whole show, and then he, you know what I mean? Like they could have kind of a thing going on like that. That's interesting. But if he's just going to be some other actor, then that's kind of cheap. Like, he's Loki in the very beginning. He morphs into whoever. The whole episode happens. It resolves. And then he turns back to Loki to close the show. <laughs> that would be so cheap. If I was Tom Hiddleston and I could collect that paycheck well, and do sure. that, I would be happy. <laughs> well, sure. But I don't care about Tom Hiddleston's paycheck capture capturing. I'm just looking about this the show. 
Um, yeah, I mean, they could do. I mean, there's so much small. There's smaller stories they could tell with the with with Loki, though. I just think Loki by himself. I mean, obviously he's gonna have people around other characters, but okay, so he doesn't let's, let's have Thor st- to bounce off of. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But let's take a step back here and think for a second. Who is the Disney streaming service for? I don't know. Everybody, families. Yeah, they're gonna want everybody they're- though. Okay, and I, I mean, can their tell target you, is families, yeah. I mean, they're going to want everybody, and everybody's going to watch them, of course. So this is the way they're doing that. They're going to pull in those who want to see, you know, the MCU. They can pull the, the adults in. At the same time, Tom Hiddleston registers very high with preteens and teen girls. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a market. We can we can pull Tom Hiddleston in. We can do a whole show of, of him. And we've pulled in that preteen, teen girl market. Plus, you've got the Scarlet Witch, so who also pulls in that same market. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this before we finish up. We've got those two shows, Loki and Scarlet Witch. Disney's worked with like everybody under the sun in terms of composers. Who who in the world do you envision doing the music for for these shows? Who would you like to see do the music for these two shows? Oh, it's easy, John Debney. For both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think for both of them. I, I mean, are they going to be separate shows or are they yeah, going to be... Yeah, I think they're separate shows. They're not going to be interwoven. Oh, they might be interwoven, but I think they're two separate shows. Okay. They might cross over at some point in time, but I, I think they're two separate shows. Okay, so I, I would I could see a John Debney doing it. Um Unless he's doing John Favreau's Star Wars which, series, which is a high possibility. Very possible, yeah. Very possible. Um, you know, or um, I could see Just, Ramin Djawadi getting it. Has he done um, Disney stuff? John Debney? No, Ramin Djawadi. Uh, yeah, sure, Iron Man. Oh, yeah, that's, well, it wasn't Disney at the oh yeah i guess it was oh and he also just did um which i really like that score a wrinkle in time i didn't see the film because it looked like but the Mm -hmm. the score was great Mm -hmm. Uh, wrinkle in time was one of the i think it's one of his better works to be honest so yeah that's a good pick that's very good Um, i'm sitting here trying to think of a of a woman other than pinar toprak to do it um debbie wiseman yeah cindy o'connor she's doing the once upon a time which is an ABC Disney. Yeah. So that yeah, makes sense. Mark, she's doing that with Mark Isham? Y- yes. Correct. Okay. Um, yeah, that would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great That's fit. That's a very actually. natural fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be a really great fit. Yeah. 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 They just work with so, I mean, they own everything. So, of course, they work, <laughs> they work with everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's just so much content that's being produced now. It it it's, it staggers my mind. The good thing about that is it gives us just that many more scores that will come out whether yeah. the whether the content itself is is great or not. Almost doesn't matter. We're going to be getting a lot more original scores because everybody's creating content now. So for composers mm-hmm. like yourself and others, so many more opportunities, you know. Um, Absolutely. To, to get it's into It's exciting. Game. Yeah, it is. It is definitely that. 
Uh, any other thoughts about Loki and and the Scarlet Witch? Uh, that that should be the name of the show: Loki and the Scarlet Witch. I would watch it that. It does sound cool. <laughs> See, now they've got you already. <laughs> no, I just like the name. <laughs> well, I did. That was the thing that did strike me about it was how in the world would you get? How are these two characters going to even work together? But if they're two separate shows, yeah, it must. Then be. I can see it happening because that would not um, that pairing is just would be really weird. <laughs> the be, only thing that I'm really sad about is that Paul Bettany is not listed as one of the cast members of the Scarlet Witch show. And what does that mean? Well, what does that mean, Chris? We could speculate. Or we could just watch <laughs> Avengers and like, oh, we know exactly what that means. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, who? I mean, the fact that there, the fact that there is a Loki show, it's just that. I, I hope they call it that. Saying that the Loki, the Loki show. show, the Loki show. <laughs> I, I, I might have to tune into the Loki show. It's just him doing late night. He's a late night host, and he interviews superheroes. <laughs> But it's very low key. Yeah, I would. I would oh, have to watch bad. that. That was a bad pun. Low key. Oh my gosh, that was good. That was so good it went over my head for a second. <laughs> See, I might have to watch that if it's a late night show with Loki doing interviews. That he that... becomes his. He brings people in for an interview, and then they're interviewing themselves, and they can't figure out what's happening. Yeah, could be interesting. Be awesome. Could be interesting. Um. All right, then. I think that's going to wrap it up for this volume 11 of Soundcast 6. We'd love to know what you thought about any of these six stories. And if you'd like to share those thoughts with us, you can do so by emailing us at soundcast at tracksounds.com. Leave us a voicemail on our SpeakPipe widget on our site. Hit us up on Twitter at Audio Soundcast or on Facebook. If you want to find and follow me, you can do so at C. Coleman. Dane, how can people find and follow you? You can find me at Maestro Dane on Twitter. You can also go to my YouTube page, Dane Walker Music. Uh, and uh, I have a SoundCloud, which is also Dane Walker Music. I really like Dane Walker and music being put together. Makes it, it easy nicely. to remember and find you. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good branding. Very good branding. There you go. <laughs> All right, then, until our next episode, we thank you for listening to this one, but we say, may the notes be with you. Uh, everybody get your smile going on.